Are you looking to optimize your mindset and lifestyle for success? In today's business world, you're in the right place. This is where you get to build your freedom through promoting through Facebook and selling on Amazon. Welcome to Actualize Freedom with your hosts, Wilson and Danny. What's up, guys? It's Danny Carlson with the Actualize Freedom Podcast. And today we have a really interesting guest. He has two brands. He's traveled to China many, many times. Um, and really interesting little fact about him, he used to work for both Google and Facebook before he got into Amazon, uh, and he's also currently an advisor to a digital marketing agency. So a guy with three years in the Amazon space, he has a lot of good experience to pull from here. It's my pleasure to introduce to you guys, Keith Mander. How's it going, Keith? Yeah, very well, thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Excellent, and you're joining us from the rainy winter Vancouver yeah. right now, is that right? Gloomy Vancouver, yeah. I, I, as I was just mentioning before, I lived in Bali for about five years, so this is a bit of a culture shock or just general shock to the system to, to move out here to gloomy Vancouver in the winter, but um, it's nice to be in a kind of a more civilized uh, kind of location. Yeah, and I'm currently in uh, Cebu, Philippines, which is fairly close to Bali there, so much warmer. Um, I'm from Vancouver as well, normally, for those of you who don't know. Um, so I went to escape the Vancouver rain over here <laughs> in Asia. So maybe let's start there. You were one of the original digital nomads, so to speak, right? Living in Bali before it was like crazy blown out with tourists like it is now, before Chiang Mai was a huge, huge digital nomad hub. Um, what was that like being one of the, you know, one of the kind of pioneering digital nomads, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a fascinating experience just to see it grow and to be a part of the original kind of groups of people that were kind of landed there and explored the option of being able to live and work there. Of course, there were definitely people before me, but I think there was a period when I was there that um, it's probably eight years ago or something, uh, especially in, in Chiang Mai and Thailand, um, where things were really, you know, people started to realize, well, I can work online here, the internet's good enough. Um, and it's you know low cost of living, so this is kind of like a paradise situation um, for that period of time. Maybe the internet was not good enough, and you couldn't really do it. But everything kind of came aligned that you could then do it. And yeah, it was, it was a really exciting time. And now it's just it's gone nuts. You know, you get uh, co-working spaces on every corner, kind of thing. And, and back then there were there were none basically. Um, so yeah, it's it's been fun. And I mean, you did that for five years, so it wasn't just like a, a go there and check it out for a while on vacation and come back. Five years, it's a long time to be living in a, in a different country like that. So what about it really made you stay in Bali for that long? Yeah, so I bounced around a few, a few different places uh, when I first started off, and then I really kind of wanted to make roots in one location and Bali was just an, an easy obvious choice for me because I already knew people there and knew the place and you know it ticks a lot of boxes you know it's low cost of living great weather great people um so just just kind of went with it um and stuck around and it became like more economical to to stay in one place as well to you know get a house on a long-term contract and uh yeah just kind of make it make it a home kind of thing um which I imagine that helped you with the Amazon business, right? Because uh, investing in inventory is not a cheap thing to do. So if your cost of living is so low, you have more money to buy new products, to invest in more inventory. Did that really help your your e-commerce business take off? Yeah, definitely. It's a, definitely a pragmatic choice in terms of being an entrepreneur too. Of course, it, you know, it gives you this longer runway when you're just getting started with whatever you're doing. Um, and generally, like, 
keeping your cost low month to month, even when you're kind of operating and making revenue so that you can save more and put that into inventory and reinvest. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, the quicker you can put money back into the business and turn it over, uh, hopefully with, you know, a return, then you can just kind of compound that impact. Uh, and so you, yeah, you're definitely going to grow a lot faster. Uh, so it's a combination of kind of lifestyle choice and as well as a kind of practical choice too. Yeah, I mean, uh, I certainly enjoy the lifestyle out in the tropical places like this. It's um, friendly people and just so much, so much good stuff to do, surfing and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah. So walk us through, at what point did you start this Amazon business? So what, you were in Bali when you began, is that correct? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So I was dabbling with different online things. Uh, I had websites that made money through AdSense. That was my primary business, um, which was very passive for the most part um so i had established sites that made money through through the advertising and i didn't really have to do too much to maintain it uh and in fact you know i spent a lot of effort trying to make it grow and just didn't budge really it was kind of very static um which was a kind of a blessing uh but also a curse because it was quite meaningless uh, at times so i didn't really get into it um i didn't have real customers of course i had viewers to these websites but I didn't really care for them that much. I didn't have great attachment to them. Um, well, that's so, yeah, just got kind of blasted out recently, right? Like uh, Google changes their yeah. algorithm, and then all of these people's websites that were making the money are not making the money anymore, right? That's right. And, uh, it's definitely very fickle. Um, yeah, for those people who don't know, AdSense is Google's ad network. So if you have a website, you can just sign up for AdSense, and then Google will place various ads from their advertisers on your website and people monetize their websites this way. So um, that's what Keith's talking about here. Yeah, precisely. Um, and then one of my friends, a Canadian fella, um, he was doing Amazon at the time. I think he picked it up from one of the, the most common courses, ASM perhaps. And he was doing well and just wanted to kind of grow a network for his own kind of selfish reasons of other people doing similar kind of business so he wanted to teach a, a group of us uh what he's up to so we kind of met up once a week for a couple of months perhaps in a kind of classroom kind of scenario at a co-working space and he went through kind of the process of sourcing a product and so on and yeah maybe perhaps a, a dozen of us did that course together and we've all kind of gone off and, and done our own thing and most of us have done pretty well out of that um and that was about three years ago, which was definitely a, a right time to join. Um, yeah, so that's how I began. That's excellent. And currently, um, you do have some partners with your two current brands. Is that correct? Did it just start with yourself and then you just had to grow into that? Or how did this, how did this business grow for you? Uh, no, I don't really have any partners, uh, so I've tried to manage it all myself. Um, of course, I've like taken on employees in different ways, um, you know, VAs for particular tasks or just a general VA that manages, you know, day-to-day -day operational stuff. Um, but I don't have any business partners or, or anything like that. Um, so definitely it's been a struggle at times as a result you know, having motivation and getting around kind of gaps in knowledge, uh, cash flow also being a huge one. So that has been a, a hindrance to growth, uh, being able to manage cash flow. Uh, for one of my products in particular, it's a furniture item and it fills a full shipping container. And because of the lead time, I typically have to have a shipping container in production, another shipping container at sea and another at, in 
stock essentially uh, being sold. So you have to ca have cash flow to maintain that current you know, flow of three containers worth of goods all uh, at once on, on just one product. Um, so I basically had to you know just max out credit cards and that kind of thing just to have the personal cash flow to to manage it. Uh, now it's kind of started to catch up and I can kind of do more products, but it's, it's always a bit of a fight. Yeah, well, let's dive into that too, because um, unfortunately, I think a lot of the Amazon gurus out there, the e-commerce gurus, they're saying to people like, yeah, just start with start with $1,000, start with $1,500 or something like that. Um, and then people get themselves into these big cash flow situations where they, they can't afford to buy that second round of inventory or they you know, their business is growing and they can't afford to fund it and stuff like that. So can you talk maybe a little bit about some of these cash flow issues that you ran into, especially in the beginning, like you're mentioning maxing out credit cards and stuff like that. That's like the more reality side of things, not what these gurus are telling people, right? Right, right. It's, it's a really bizarre thing. And you're 100% right. Like the gurus never touch upon this. Uh, and it's just quite perverse, I think. I mean, they're probably right that you, I mean, you could start with $1,000. It is possible. There are products that you could operate with that and you could even have a runaway success with it. Um, it it's not impossible, but I think quite unlikely. Um, generally speaking, I, if, if people ask me friends and things, you know, how do I get started? What kind of money do I need? I would say, you know, $10,000 is a, a very approximate ballpark. Typically, you know, to get a Chinese factory interested in working with you, they, they want to receive about 10,000. Um, that gets you a certain amount of stock as well that, you know, you can, do things like giveaways and manage the fact that you know you want to have enough stock that you can sell it um, and you're kind of planning for success um, so there's that aspect um, but then you know all of a sudden if you're if it's if things work out well and you're being successful and making money in theory um, you're gonna need a lot more cash and the, the profits that you're making from this this business kind of regardless of how well your margins are don't necessarily end up in your pocket. And there's that big difference between the profit that you see on in a spreadsheet and, and what might be actually in your bank account, be it the business bank account or your own one personally. Um, and, and that's never touched upon really by the, the, the guru types, um, which is a shame. But of course, it's a good problem to have, right? If, you, if you've got a business that looks like it's, it's, it's onto something, then of course, you, you're going to be much more confident and willing to take on debt or investment um, to finance the cash flow problems that you're going to come across. Um, so it's not like a total problem because it doesn't mean you're, you know, plowing money into a, a black hole. You know, hopefully it's, it's doing something that you really feel has potential to, to reap, you know, greater returns. Um, but it's a challenge and it's definitely something that's not really taught or discussed that much. Um, so I'm in one, um, Facebook like mastermind group. It's called uh, the Million Dollar Seller Group (MDS), and this again is not really talked about. But once I remember, uh, like six months ago or something, a guy said, "You know, oh by the way, you know, I've taken on debt. You know, how how are other people doing?" Like he was a bit stressed about it, um, and he was thinking he was alone basically. And then everyone just piled in <laughs> saying, "Yeah, like I'm in one hundred thousand, five hundred thousand debt." And it's like, gee, right? Like this is the truth, right? It's not really yeah not glamorous right so you don't necessarily communicate that as a both as guru or personally um it's it, it's scary um it depends how you do it of course like I, I took the route of taking personal debt in my name um because i'm really the UK. available to, to most people in the beginning right brand new businesses generally cannot get 
their hands on anything but credit card debt. Right, right. That's definitely true. Um, if you've got a brand new company, then most banks aren't, aren't going to be that excited by you uh, unless you have some sort of, I don't know, something extraordinary going on or it's a very traditional business. I think the other aspect is that, you know, it's something online is deemed to be much more fickle, which in a way it is, but uh, it's just, it's given a higher risk profile. Um, by yeah, the best way is to just have really rich parents. So if you don't have the rich parents, then right. yeah, I mean, a lot of people find themselves in a situation um, of having to personally guarantee the credit to fund their own business. Um, right. I've had to do that too. I'm at the point now where my business is, you know, more than two years old and I can, I can get more options available. But in Canada, at least businesses that are less than two years old, there is almost 0% chance that you're going to get any kind of line of credit, any kind of loan from a bank or anything like that. Um, so it can be tough, right? So, so what was that like having to, like, did that, was that credit cards? Was that lines of credit for you personally? What was that? Uh, what did that look like? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, fortunately I'm, I'm from the UK and so I still have a credit profile there and I was able to tap into that to get uh, a couple of credit cards, which are extraordinarily, uh, low cost. Um, cause obviously it sounds scary to be using credit cards, but you know, if you're prudent about how you use them, they can be extremely valuable tools, um, and, and potentially very cheap. So uh, the particular cards that I was using were, were 0% essentially cards. Uh, for I think two years, um, but I wanted to extract the credit on those cards, not for purchases. I just wanted it cash into my bank account, which I could then use for sending to to China for an invoice, for example. Um, and for those, then I would typically pay a fee for that kind of cash withdrawal. And it was something like one point eight percent, if I remember correctly, on one of the cards, and the other one something similar. So remarkably cheap because that's actually you know typically less in inflation so it's been essentially free cash um but you have to pay it back within two years rely on that money that you're spending right so you're paying 1.8 percent on you know you're doubling your that money that you're spending so it's it makes sense right of course in a sense it was a total no-brainer to do it um because yeah i needed the money it would help me grow and i would make much more than you know the 1.8 for sure so it, it made a lot of sense but you're limited if you're if you're taking on debt in your personal name by your credit limit uh, that you have right so i don't own a house i can't kind of you know take on debt held against that so it's just limited to you know certain capacity so i was able to take out i don't know on that basis something like fifty thousand us perhaps uh, and then i took on uh some kind of loans informal loans from uh, a friend, my father, my brother, um, which also kind of added on another kind of 50,000 approximately. Um, so that's how I, I kind of did it. But that's kind of, then I reached my my kind of personal threshold of how I felt about it. Um, I could have got more and it would have been useful for business purposes to perhaps take on more, but I just kind of reached a, a ceiling of how comfortable I was with it. And it did get a little stressful at times. So I was thinking, you know, if Amazon uh, has a you know a, a bit of a bad day with me, and then they just you know, it's game over, right? I mean, of course, all that money was held in stock in some fashion, so I could, of course, you know, liquidated the stock and not necessarily ended up in real debt, but still, it, it did start to kind of amount in scale in terms of how scary things could get. 
Yeah, uh, personal risk um, tolerance so I, I think is super important to bring into bring into factor with these kind of decisions, right? Because I've seen a lot of Amazon sellers who have gotten themselves into situations that they're not they're not comfortable with. They're freaking out, right? And almost every time people get into these situations, they start to make bad decisions. And so mm -hmm. I think it's important to be really honest with yourself and just know what your own personal risk tolerances are and just play within that. Because if you're playing without outside of that and something does not go correctly as it does, if it's risky, then you're probably going to start to make decisions that make things even worse. So I just, yeah, really caution people to play within your risk tolerance. I have a pretty large risk tolerance, but even I have a risk tolerance and the times that I've played without it, I've made really bad decisions. It's just human nature, right? So I think that's really mm -hmm. important to touch on. Uh, and one thing, yeah, Keith, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I think, can, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just, I was just thinking, you know, you, you, this should really be something that can be planned for to some extent as well. So when you're starting out the business, it's, yeah, you might need this 10,000 added, but you should be full. Okay. If things work out in two months time, I'm going to need to be placing a reorder. That's going to need cash. I might not have cash from the, first kind of order in my bank to get access to have some science about how you might be able to get more cash uh, and are you willing to do it and what your limit might be i think is is good good to um training exercise in your mind out um so there's less of a shock when that, that time comes I mean, i'm sure there's definitely been uh lots of amazon sellers that have been out of stock for a long period of time just because things have worked out well with that first order when they're launching the product and then they just haven't you know come to appreciate that you, you need to you know keep things moving and that takes cash typically yeah absolutely great point so keith there's one thing that i ask all really successful sellers that come on here and that is what do you think is the main leverage point that has really pushed your business to growth so for example addy gulia um, he's a eight-figure seller that was on this podcast. He mentioned for him it was just product launches. Like he just his main leverage point is launching products as quickly as possible, um, and he he's just figured that out. So for you, what would you think if you had to name one or maybe two leverage points that have really, if you just focus on those, those have been the main two drivers of your business? Um, hmm, good question. I I think. The main one would be just uh, a pure focus on Amazon.com. So I don't sell on Shopify. I don't even have websites for my brands. I don't sell on Amazon in other markets, Europe, etc. cetera, um, which a lot of people would say is crazy. Um, and they might be right. But my, my thinking about it is that um, – because you know I've been restricted by cash flow uh, to my growth, it's it's better for me to use that cash, that limited resource, to have stock that can turn over at a more rapid rate, um, so that I can get that back, that cash, and do more products and get more inventory. Whereas if I move the stock to, you know, a developing market or a smaller market, in some way, um, you know, that's going to be a slower process to get the cash back. Uh, so just, just a general idea about focus, um, and understanding how to get that cash rotating around, I think has been one of the main points to my success. 
Um, still it has uh, challenges, of course, still run out of stock in an embarrassing amount of times um, through bad management and difficulties of cash flow. Um, just trying to think of anything else. Well, uh, I guess the other thing is, um, I think that the best way to develop products and to develop is to spend a good chunk of time in the weeds looking at reviews, which is kind of the obvious thing that a lot of people talk about. But um, And it's not fun necessarily. Like it is a grueling task to be reading hundreds and hundreds of reviews. But it, it can help in so many ways. So not only can it help you understand like um, what to improve by looking at other people's like negative reviews, but also what to make sure you don't miss out on. So you can see the common things that people really like about competitive products and you can make sure you do those. Um, and then when you go to write your copy, you can again like call out what is the aspects that people really like in your competitive products and that you have, and then what you've improved and you can call out those things, you know, your competitors have this problem, which you fixed, um, which is kind of, yeah, it's kind of elementary uh, way of doing things. But yeah, a lot of people just don't do it because it's it's not fun really. And um, people think that, you know, they don't need to do it. They have the understanding enough of the product or something. But I still think you need to really get into the, the mindset of the, the customer. Uh, and that's best done by reading the reviews, I find. Um, yeah, and an interesting one that for me was, uh, for one of my products, I read a lot of reviews and um, one of the attributes that I, I would say it's a strong product. Um, maybe it's just because of my being British English, um, but perhaps Americans consumers are different, but they just use this word sturdy to describe it instead. And it, the difference is light and day. So it's like, 80% use the word sturdy and 20 use uh, strong. So of course, then I use the word sturdy in the copy. But if I hadn't have done that activity of reading reviews and kind of understanding the language that the market uses, then I would have just done strong. I mean, uh, which wouldn't have resonated right as, as much. So I think they're the two best things to do, um, to understand what you're good at and focus and double down on it. And then number two, just like, absorb yourself into the market understand the language that they use yeah i think i think those two are great great tips for anyone listening uh, just to back those tips up another another guest on this podcast well two guests jeremy shirk and kevin pasco they um they have nested naturals this 10-figure company and they ran into big problems with diversifying across too many channels they had great success on Amazon. They tried to sell on all these different places, Jet.com, Walmart, Shopify, um, and they just ended up splitting up their inventory across so many different places. And that's money. That's money and inventory that's sitting in all these places and moving at a much slower rate. So um, especially if you're, if you're dealing with some debt to try to grow your business, you don't want money slash inventory just sitting there for long periods of time, right? So this uh, is a very big company that ran into the exact problem that Keith is talking about here and about researching your potential customers. I'm a big copywriting nerd, right? That's how Kenji ROI started out is just doing copywriting for Amazon sellers um, and little differences in your wording can make a huge, huge difference. So for example, one thing that I see all the time is sellers saying things like high quality or best quality. Um, when words like that fall so flat because people, you can say that about any product on the market ever created, right? And so people just don't, they, mm -hmm. their brain skips right over it. But if you say something specific like 
sturdy or you go a layer deeper even and be like sturdy um sturdy enough to withstand drops if that's the main concern of your your customer is going to break on the drops it's very very specific it's saying that it's good quality but it's saying it in a way that really stands out in the customer's mind they can visualize something being sturdy enough to withstand drops but you can't visualize best quality that's not something that's tangible you know so copywriting i think is a super super important thing to really understand and to do that like he said you got to really do your research yeah 100 it's a it's a great life skill altogether as well if you can write copy because it's all about communicating understanding your market who you're talking to right so that that helps in everything that you're doing in life pretty much it's not just about selling product online totally yeah it's such a such a good skill um psychologically for any kind of sales or marketing or anything like that um, and so keith another really interesting thing about you is you have a you have a very extensive marketing background you know you worked for google and facebook at one point in the past as well as uh, you're advising a digital marketing agency currently you're still doing that i'm not really no to be honest that's a bit old that last one yeah yeah uh, well i'm wondering this digital marketing background how much of this has been applicable to your amazon fba business do you think that these skills have helped you out and if so what specific skills or maybe ways of looking at things have really helped your amazon business uh i think it definitely has helped so um just a general familiarity with with how e-commerce works how the internet works what is a keyword you know what does exact match mean right so all that kind of stuff that exists in the amazon world also exists in the, the broader online marketing world um and so to be able to jump straight into amazon without that necessary like learning of, of understanding all those kind of concepts been a helping point um but for sure like anyone you know necessarily a, a different uh, or hard concept to learn it's just a bit new um and it's you know there's a bunch of terminology and all that kind of thing involved so um but yeah just generally being having familiarity and confidence i would say so i've been working with um vas uh, and outsourcing work in different ways for about 15 years perhaps so to then consider hiring someone to take on some work uh for the amazon business you know it was not uh, there's no hesitation whereas other people might have you know some doubts and have to go through a learning process of understanding how to do it and there is definitely like learning through doing right so you're going to make errors and i've made those errors before so uh being able to to get quickly into the amazon game i i would say has been the plus point um and i've generally been thinking about this um like do you need that kind of background i don't think so at all but i think it's always good if you're going to get into the amazon game to have an edge in one area so you could be great at branding great at photography great at copywriting if you have one skill where you can um kind of really add a lot of value i think it will it will change how you perform on the amazon business and it also change your relationship with the business and how engaged you are so if there's one aspect that you're really into and you enjoy i think then all the other parts which you might not enjoy as much will fall into place a bit easier whereas if you have a total kind of lack of skill in every single area 
for sure you can still do it but you you might not um you might not uh, kind of persevere i suppose yeah um i mean i've certainly my background has definitely helped me when it comes to amazon the marketing background the copywriting um has been absolutely huge and i can see how it's definitely helped you as well uh, well keith it's been so good having you on here some really good golden nuggets in here for the audience. You're going to be picking some of these out and releasing them as smaller videos too, because there's some of these okay. have been really, really good, valuable pieces of information. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. If people want to reach out to you, um, where would be a good place to do that? Um, yeah, I don't really have anything anymore online. Um, something I'm, I'm dabbling in at the moment is uh, making software for Amazon sellers. Um, so I have a little bit of background working with developers and I've hired a couple of full-time guys now in Indonesia to help me develop things for my own business to begin with. And now we're exploring the idea of making kind of uh, applications for others, Amazon sellers. Uh, and so um, that's starting to take shape and um, I'm putting them all on a, on a domain name called um, bagels.io so bagels as in the bagel with cream cheese on it and then .io uh, which is a really random bizarre domain name but it's the first thing that I thought of at the time uh, and you can click there and you can sign up uh, for free and then you access all the apps that I have for free at the moment and I've got a couple of things there which are, are quite interesting and useful to, to people getting started I have one thing that like sucks in all the reviews for a particular ASIN and allows you to like codify them, which is kind of what we discussed in terms of being understand the the language that customers are using for for products, um, which is really helpful. Um, and then there's a bunch of like other kind of keyword analytic research, keyword rank tracking software and stuff that people can play around with. I love it, um, Keith. I'll, yeah. I'm personally going to be checking out that review tool. That sounds very useful. So. Um, Thanks for sharing. That is bagels.io, guys. That's making me hungry just saying that. Um, and I'm guessing you were hungry when you were thinking of that name. Yeah, uh, but definitely check that out, guys. And thanks again for joining us, Keith. It's super, super valuable. If you guys want to see the show notes for this episode, maybe any of the links that are mentioned here, go to actualizefreedom.com slash 26. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks. This podcast is sponsored by Kenji ROI. Obsessively optimized copywriting, product photography, videos, and PPC for a highly cohesive feel and high conversion rate. Avoid expensive miscommunication with freelancers who don't understand Amazon. Kenji ROI's team has produced over 600 Amazon listings responsible for multi-millions in annual sales for their clients. Clients know they're covered with Kenji's guarantees. After work has been delivered, their experts help you resolve any potential issues or concerns to an extreme level. If you're still not happy, you'll get a full refund. What kind of crazy guy makes a guarantee like that? Listeners of the Actualized Freedom podcast get a 10% discount for life on all Kenji ROI listing creation services, but only for the first 50 claims. Type in go.kenjiroi.com slash AF. Pause this podcast right now and claim your code. Like I said, once 50 are claimed, they're gone forever. So go now to go.kenjiroi.com slash AF. That's go.kenjiroi.com slash AF to get your code now.